Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Last night we were playing cards, and uh, as as often happens when we're playing cards, we get into strange discussions, and we started talking about weird coworkers <laughs> that we've had in the past. Yeah. Oh man, we both had such long, strange experiences with coworkers. In fact, we should talk in depth about our weird coworkers in the next bonus episode. Oh yeah. Well, we're going to be doing that. Is that tonight? Tonight or tomorrow? Tonight or tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah. For our patrons on Patreon. Um, but uh, you were telling me about this one woman you worked with at a department store. Yeah, she told me once that uh, she <clears throat> didn't really care for music. <laughs> Not a specific type of music. No, just I just don't really like music. The concept of music is beyond my grasp. And I just, uh, I just stared at her for a minute and I was like, <laughs> I don't... I'm, what? Have you heard Ray Charles, Nighttime is the Right Time? <laughs> Come on. I'm sorry. Have you ever heard Mary Clayton in the midst of Gimme Shelter? What do you mean? Does that include all? All music from the, from, well, actually the, uh, the dawn of mankind. When we first started uh, tapping out a rhythm on a log, right up to Cardi B. All of it. I hate it. How though? I don't understand. I worked with a guy one time. Uh, I don't know what his stance was on music, but he had this weird tick where we would be in these meetings, you know, a formal type meeting in a conference room and stuff. And sporadically from time to time, it was almost like it was unconscious. He would take off his loafer and smell it and then put it back on again. <laughs> And we had like a running bet as to how many times he would do that. It averaged to be about once every 20 minutes. Wow. It was almost like clockwork. This uh, this should be an interesting bonus episode, I guess. We we used to talk about, well, this is going to be a three-shoe meeting. You know, it's going to be... <laughs> <laughs> three-shoe sniffs? Three-shoe sniffs and we're done. Anyway, um, we'll do a, a bonus episode based on that. That would be, I think, uh, 
cathartic for us, really. Probably. <laughs> and hopefully entertaining for some people. All right, I've got a story for you here, and I thought I would tell it. Oh, yeah, no, that, this is a good time to do that. It was a summer night near the village of Krishtum, Russia. A woman named Tamara Prosperina was out for a walk. It was right after a big thunderstorm, and you know how the air is, and it's just... it's Ions. Yeah, it's a magical time to go for a walk. During her walk, she saw a pile of sand near the edge of a path that she was walking on, and something caught her eye. Something was moving in the sand. So she quickly scooped it up, and she wrapped it in a, a shawl that she had and carried it back to the village. As she returned to the village, many of the town people witnessed her walking down the street with this bundle wrapped in a blanket or a shawl or something in her arm. She was cradling it like a baby. What was it? Well, they asked her what she was carrying, and she told them it was her son, Alyashenka. Why had she left her son in a pile of sand? Well, it wasn't her son. Okay. A local said, quote, she was telling us it's her baby, Elyashenka, or Alexi for short, but she never showed it to us when she was walking through the village. She actually did have a son named Alexi, but he was grown up, and in 1996, he was in prison doing time for theft, so... Probably not. The local said, uh, we decided that the woman had gone nuts, and she was talking to a toy, thinking it was her son. And you can understand why they felt this way. She actually was eventually diagnosed with uh, mental issues. In fact, clinically diagnosed with schizophrenia, but not at this point. But the thing that she wrapped in the blanket was not a toy. It was, in fact, some sort of an unidentified living creature that she had found in this pile of sand. Eventually, she did show Alyashenka to some of her neighbors, and they described it this way. It was 20 to 25 centimeters tall and humanoid. Quote, no body hair. It had big protruding eyes, moving its tiny lips, making squeaking sounds. That was according to Tamara Neomova, who was one of uh, Prosperina's friends. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm super confused. So she found this tiny living thing yes. in a pile of sand. And she claimed it was her son. Claimed it was her adult son. Right. But then showed it to the neighbors, and it's this identify, unidentified small creature thing. Right. Yeah. And she showed it to some of the neighbors in her apartment, and one of her neighbors who saw it uh, in an interview in Pravda said, quote, his onion shape didn't look human at all. Prosperina's daughter-in-law also saw this thing and said his mouth was red and round and he was looking at us. She said that her mother-in-law would feed it condensed milk and cottage cheese. She said in the Pravda interview, quote, he looked sad. I felt pain while looking at him. Well, I mean, I would be sad if I lived off condensed milk and cottage cheese. <laughs> but there are conflicting reports, however. Um, one witness claimed that the creature was hairy and had blue eyes. Another, who was a friend of the old woman, said, quote, He was standing near the bed with big eyes. He also mentioned that the creature was hairy. Others claimed that this humanoid being was totally hairless. But although there were conflicting reports, they all said that Alyoshenka looked like an alien being. You mean the, the creature that she claimed was Alyoshenka, not, not her, her son. actual jailed no. son? No. Okay. 
Can we start calling him something else because it's very confusing? Let's call him Al. Which looks a lot like AI. And short for alien. She had Al for a few months, right up until the point that they took her away to the mental hospital. She, of course, didn't want to go. She said Al would die if she didn't take care of him. One of the paramedics involved said in that Pravda article, quote, But how could I believe the words of a woman with acute schizophrenia? Unfortunately, Al, or the Christian Dwarf, as he has become called, did die because there was no one there to feed him. When asked why no one else fed Al... That was going to be my next question. Proverina's friend, Neomova, said, quote, Well, goddammit, aren't you freaking geniuses? I wasn't in the village back then. Apparently, she had been away for a time, and when she returned, she went to visit, and uh, Proverina was, at that point, institutionalized, and whatever this was... She returned to find the small creature had passed away. Since the old lady was institutionalized, her friend took the body of this thing, this little creature, and uh, washed it with vodka and then dried it out, essentially mummifying it. That according to a local newspaper. She then gave it to another friend, and that friend was arrested for theft of a different item, uh, unrelated. But while the police station, well, at the police station, he showed the small body, to the police. A local police officer named Vladimir Bendlin was the first to check into this on an official capacity. Okay, I'm so confused. What is this thing? Are there photos? Yes. Oh, God. He confiscated Al's body from the incarcerated thief, but his boss, the chief inspector, had no interest in investigating it and told him to, quote, give up on this nonsense. But he did not give up. In fact, he stored the body in his refrigerator at his house. He told Pravda, quote, don't even ask what my wife told me about it. <laughs> <laughs> Tests were run because many people were convinced this was some sort of an alien. Uh, one report came back from a local pathologist who said that he believed this was not a human being. But then a gynecologist, who also did some tests, issued a report that said he thought it was a child with terrible deformities. Then the story goes that the police officer, Bendlin, gave the dwarf's body to some UFO enthusiasts for additional testing. He never got the body back. Al completely disappeared at this point. Huh. Investigative journalists have been searching in vain for him for over 20 years with, uh, with no luck. His adoptive mother, Prosverina, died in 1999. She had been released from the institution, and she was hit by a truck in the middle of the night. Oh. Reports say that she was dancing in the middle of the highway, and uh, a truck ran over her. Mm. There have been many bizarre explanations as to what this small creature may have been. Everything from an alien creature to an ancient dwarf-like being. But there is perhaps a logical explanation as to what Alyoshenka was. I don't think that there is a logical explanation for any of this. Well, listen to this. In 1957, in Krishtam, there was a plutonium production site for nuclear weapons as well as a nuclear fuel pro uh, reprocessing plant. On the evening of September 29th of that year, again 1957, a nuclear disaster took place, which still to this day is considered the second worst nuclear incident by radioactive release after Chernobyl mm. and the subsequent disaster that took place there. And it's actually pretty close to where Chernobyl is. 
It measured as a level six disaster on the international nuclear event scale. It resulted in the evacuation of 335,000 people. At least 22 villagers were directly exposed to radiation from this disaster. Um, it took almost two years for the evacuations to occur in surrounding sites that were equally exposed to this radiation. Okay. It spread hot particles, radioactive particles, over more than 52,000 square kilometers, where about 270,000 people lived wow. at that time. When the plutonium exploded, it was so powerful, it threw a 160-ton concrete lid hundreds of feet into the air. Ooh. The radiation had negatively impact the area, especially wildlife. It's been reported that for decades, fishermen have caught fish with no eyes and no fins. So could Alyoshenka have been a mutated human being that had been deformed by radiation and abandoned by his mother? Many in the village believe that that is exactly what happened. It was a prematurely born female baby with many deformities due to nuclear fallout. It seems like that's a plausible explanation, but until they find the body again, we'll never really know for sure. One thing we do know for sure is that the name Alyoshenka, or Alexei, is now extremely unpopular in the city of Krishtim. The Pravda article goes on to report, quote, who wants their child to be mocked as the Krishtim dwarf in school? My resource material, Mysteries Unsolved, the Russian X-Files series from Russia Beyond, Pravda, and Wikipedia. It's the Krishnam Dwarf. I don't, I don't understand any of, any of what happened just now. I, first of all, there's this living thing, yep. and people just let it starve to death? Well, this woman didn't have a lot of friends, uh -huh. and only a few people were aware that it was there. By the time that they realized that she had been taken away... It was too late. They came to visit her. She wasn't there. She'd been institutionalized for a period of weeks. And Al had starved to death. I just think it was an utter failure on everyone's part. <laughs> I do not approve. That's terrible. This is a terrible story. You're welcome. <laughs> the Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something, if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? 
I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids and they live about 3,000 miles away and my daughter is expecting a child and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer and now that thing in the middle it was april 18th 1961 in eagle river wisconsin a farmer named joe simonton claims that he saw an alien spacecraft landing near his home and quote italian looking beings got out they then busied themselves setting up a grill and started cooking food that Joe said resembled pancakes. Through mime, they asked Joe to fill up a water jug for them, which he did. He then asked if he could have some of their food. They gave him four pancakes, one of which he ate. Being scientifically minded, he took the others to a university to have them identified. The university reported, all of the ingredients were from the good old planet Earth. We love hearing from you freaks, whether it's on social media or whether it's an email at curator at theboxofoddities.com. I wish we could respond to every email that we get, yeah. but we can't. No, um, There's just far too many of them, which we're grateful for. Uh, we try to respond to as many as we can. But please know, again, we read every single email and message that comes to us. We got this email. Hey, guys, out in my pottery studio and listening to Box of Oddities, as I so often do. It's Box 423, in which you discuss illness making people more attractive. Ah. This made me immediately think of my mom and laugh. My mother, God bless her, nearly every time she sees me will hold the back of her hand to my forehead and say in a very concerned voice, <laughs> oh, you look tired. Are you sick? No, mom, I just don't have any makeup on. <laughs> Only if I am actually sick, feverish, and on the verge of collapse will she declare, I look great. 
I recently caught the stomach flu twice in two weeks, literally could eat nothing for that whole time, and subsequently lost eight pounds. I saw my mom shortly after, and she exclaimed, oh, you look so much slimmer. Maybe getting the stomach flu was a good thing. (laughs) Wow. This is a long-running joke between me and my two sisters, because she says shit like this to them, too. Oh, moms. Just had to share. Love the show. Love you both. Keep on doing your thing. Aaron in Brunswick, Maine. Thanks, Aaron. From our home state. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's funny that 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 whole thing has echoed down through the generations. It's so bizarre. Yeah. And that's why my theory is never comment on anyone's appearance ever. (laughs) Don't say they look good. Don't say they look bad. Just say, I'm happy to see you. Hey, that's actually a pretty good idea. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Matt. Did you know that wombats poop cubes? Nope. Never heard that before. Did you know the unicorn is the national animal of Scotland, Ken? I didn't know, nor do I care. Neil, did you know that Liechtenstein is the only doubly landlocked country in Europe? Jeff, isn't that an American pop artist? Well, actually, it's both. If you want to learn things like that and more, join us each week on Triviality, a pub trivia-style game show podcast where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Listen in each week to answer general knowledge trivia alongside exciting guests from around the world. And we're here, too. Join us every Tuesday for new hour-long episodes of Triviality, plus tons of extra theme content on everything from The Office and Lord of the Rings to science and geography. And sometimes we even do sports. Find us on all your preferred podcast apps and take part in the fun of playing bar trivia without the need to wear pants. Real mature, Jeff. Forget it, Neil. It's triviality. 100% of our listeners surveyed say they listen to podcasts. That's a lot. This is The Box of Oddities. All right, your turn. All right, this time we're traveling to the Megaru neighborhood of Tokyo, Japan. It's an unassuming two-story space that we're talking about. We might just walk past it if you weren't looking for it. It's a small museum and research facility established in 1953 by a medical doctor named Satoru Kemagai. But it's been rebuilt and at its present location since 1993. The TripAdvisor reviews are varied. Lots of complaints that things weren't written in English, which is just... (sighs) There were some complaints that it was very small, but lots of people loved that the museum is free to enter. My favorite review 
was four stars. If you like tapeworms in jars, <laughs> this place is a must. <laughs> I love tapeworms in a jar. It's the Mega Roof Parasitological Museum, right. and it proudly declares itself to be the world's first parasitological museum. Am I putting too many syllables in this word? I don't know. Anyway, it's just how I'm going to say it, I guess. Okay. This museum, uh, which we'll now refer to as the Japan Parasite Museum, <laughs> houses more than 60,000 species of parasite, with more than 300 on display at any given time. As I said, it's a two-floor museum, and on the first floor is the diversity of parasites display, which has various types of parasite specimens with accompanying educational movies and an oversized map of Japan to show where different parasites are present and displays those featured parasites. See, I would use that to plan my tour. Where not to go. <laughs> oh, where not to yeah, go. Yeah, no, I don't want them in the wild. In jars, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to wake up and have one staring me in the face. See, that's um, one of the articles that I read. The author said, normally I want parasites as far away from me as possible, <laughs> but I really liked this place. Um, so, <clears throat> yeah, no, you're right. Um, contained, yeah. just fine. Out in the wild, not so much. The second floor is where people really... Um, warn that if you didn't like the first floor, you're really not going to like the second floor. That's where you'll find the exhibits about human and zoological parasites showing parasite life cycles and the symptoms that they cause during an infection of a living thing. So as I just said, displayed, you'll find about 300 preserved specimens, as well as diagrams and photographs, as well as 50,000 papers and 5,000 books on parasites. You'll find a botfly diagram. Oh, gross. On the second floor, which is one of my like heebie-jeebie type things. Yeah. Botflies, eh. not, not my vibe. Mm. But by the way, if you don't like parasites, you shouldn't <laughs> listen to this Part Heads up. Of the episode. I'm going to say things that aren't good. And here we go now. So the botfly diagram describes how the insect deposits its eggs on mosquitoes who then transfer the eggs to humans upon biting them. And then the larva grows under the skin until it matures and then leaves its host behind mm. by way of bursting through its skin. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yum, 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 yum. Photographs show the severely distended testicles of an unfortunate human host oh, no. of a tropical bug. Oh, no. The scrotum in the photo can be seen hanging nearly to the ground. Yeah, I've heard of this. Mm. You get it swimming, right? And uh, swims right up your little... Your urethra? Yeah. That... I don't know if it's the same one. Um, I know about that, that little parasite yeah, that yeah. makes its way up, but... Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's the same. Gross. It's, it's pretty gross. Yeah. Yet fascinating. Yeah. The interesting thing about that one that you're talking about is that it's attracted to the the smell of urine. Um, so that way it knows like where to mm. find the openings on its right. host. Right. Um, so so that, don't let, pee in the water. Yeah. Let that be a lesson to you. Mm. You shouldn't anyway, especially if it's a pool. Right. Probably you're not going to find a lot of... Amazonian parasites in most pools, though. Let's hope not. Do you remember when, when pools started putting in a chemical that would turn purple? 
if it detected urine. I've heard that that's a thing, but I've never actually seen it in real life or heard of anyone who's encountered it in real life. I think it's an urban myth. Do you think it's an urban myth? I do. Okay. All right. Maybe maybe it was just started by people who had public swimming pools and I'm all for starting rumors that stop people from pissing in public pools. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm pro that. You're pro that. Yeah. You're pro anti-pool peeing. Yes, exactly. Several of the articles that I read referred to the size of this person's testicles as resembling a duffel bag. Oh, my God. I cannot imagine the pain that person must have been feeling. Moving right along, some of the displays present preserved parasites actually popping out of their animal host, (laughs) which is very upsetting. I think that's the part that I would like the least. Like, you know, I don't want to see a fish with parasites coming out of its where its eyeballs should be. No, no. Um, There's apparently a dolphin stomach that um, Mm. is, yeah. And then a fish with just its side cut out so you can see inside that it's basically just been a shell for, well, uh, you know, you can tell. Right. You you know where I'm going with this. This museum is free, right? It is free. Do they have a snack shop? I was going to get to that. Uh, Interestingly, they do not have a cafeteria (laughs) of any kind. Interesting indeed. The... Museum's prize attraction is most likely the world's longest tapeworm, 8.8 meters, which is uh, almost 30 feet of tapeworm um, that was actually removed from a man after he um, was taking care of his daily constitution Uh and noticed something dangling and needed to have that removed from him. No, They have it in a case so you can see it, but they also have next to it a piece of fabric that is meant to mirror the the feeling of it, Mm -hmm. and it is the same length. So you can like take it out and hold it, and even if you go from one side of the room to the other side of the room, you can't stretch it out all the way because it's a huge tapeworm. You look very uncomfortable. I just need to put my... You're scrunched up and you're just like... (laughs) I'm going to put my head down for a moment. Yeah. Just for a moment, I'll be fine. Sure. (sighs) Beyond the two floors of displays, the... Museum continues, but, you know, not for you. Uh, There's research that goes on on parasites and their morphology, taxonomy, and the distribution, and that's done on the floors above. In addition to research, they also give presentations on parasites. Those that work for and with the museum focus on education and publications through work-study programs, lectures, selling prepared specimens, and the museum publishes several documents, including progress of parasites. Progress of Parasitology in Japan and the Research Bulletin of the Meguro Parasitology and another Research Bulletin. (laughs) Yep. This all started at Dr. Kamagai's clinic and clinics across Japan um, because in the 1950s, this doctor kind of made parasites his business. He would travel around asking people to give him their parasites. 
Can I have your tapeworm, then? He founded his little museum in 1953 with some of his specimens and some books that he had acquired about various parasites. And so this was his home base. But he continued in an obsessive fashion, and he gained this reputation for his love of parasites. So people started looking for him to give him their Uh, specimens or, you know. Mm. But apparently, like, the word on the street is that he actually had affection for parasites, like certain parasites like, he thought were like kawaii, you know, that uh, that Japanese cute thing. Yeah. He thought that some of them were just adorable. Right. Parasites make lousy pets. Well, they feed themselves, so well, that's, that's something. It's true. <laughs> Now, there's no cafeteria, as we discussed, but there is a museum gift shop, and it was created uh, in the 90s, I believe, to help fund the museum, because as I said, the museum is free to enter. Do they have like a mascot, like Timmy the Tapeworm? You know, they don't, but I think they should. Billy the Botfly. They do have, though, um, a museum guidebook, which a lot of people recommend going and buying the guidebook before you visit the museum. (laughs) Um, Just to desensitize yourself. Well, I think because, you know, because very little of it's in English, so it might help to have that guidebook. Um, There is an app that you can utilize that guides you through the museum in English. So apparently the people just didn't think to do that or didn't want to or whatever. There are some really cute T-shirts available at the gift shop. Um, Unfortunately, they don't ship outside of Japan, which kind of bummed me out because there was one in particular that I really liked. And it had a little little guy on it. And he was all like, anyway, um, they've got (laughs) parasites embedded in acrylic that you can buy. And um, yeah, I mean, there's all the things that you can imagine that you might find in a parasite museum Mm -hmm. gift shop. Mm -hmm. You'll find there. But uh, they do ship within Japan, just not outside of Japan, which is totally fine and their prerogative. Anyway. um, First, they don't print stuff in English. (laughs) And then they don't ship outside of Japan. Why doesn't everyone cater exactly to me? (laughs) Um, Yeah. And then the last thing I wrote was that there was no museum cafeteria. So Uh, weird. But uh, yeah. Um, What kind of food do you think that they would serve? Udon, I think. Udon? Yeah, Yeah. probably. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds appetizing after looking at tapeworms. (laughs) I got most of my information from Open Culture, from Tofugu, and from Atlas Obscura. So I'll share some photos later. Okay. Yeah. All right. Awesome. I'm looking forward (laughs) to that. The whole botfly thing almost triggers my trypophobia or whatever it is. Oh, sure, because it comes up out of a hole. Out of the hole. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's like in a person. Yeah. That makes it that much worse. Anyway, fascinating stuff. Yeah. And and to be honest with you, that might possibly be a museum I don't want to go to. Really? Yeah. Um, one of the things that I thought was interesting is the people who run it said that the most popular patron of their museum are people on dates. Really? And I think that's great. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it makes sense. You know, if, if the date's going poorly, you can blame it on the museum. <laughs> you know, we've got a fairly good relationship and it's just, it seems so much better now that we're looking at tapeworms. <laughs> Thanks again to our patrons that help uh, provide the opportunity for us to do this podcast. And hopefully travel to Tokyo to see gross things. Or at least travel to Tokyo. (laughs) Want to thank our most recent patrons. 
Jeremy, Rebecca, Willie, Josu, and Christine. Yay! Uh, also, thanks to our patrons for chiming in on which glasses I should buy, because I think <laughs> I have, like, face blindness, but just for me, and I, I need help, is what I'm saying, and there have been some really nice comments, and I'm no closer to picking glasses. Thank you. If you want to become a patron and help support the Box of Oddities by becoming a member of the Order of Freaks, you can do so by going to theboxofoddities.com and click on the Support This Podcast link. And we do so much appreciate you guys. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you. To provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. I don't like what you're doing right now. That movement makes me want to talk less. (laughs) You're so oppositionally defiant.